0: Internet travelers, and welcome once again to the before and after show. Uh, if you're just joining us uh, for the first episode, your first episode of this show, how it works is each week I and a guest, myself and a guest, take a film we've never seen before, give you our expectations for it, um, usually a set of films, and then the following week we will have seen the films and we tell you what we thought about those films. And uh, if this is your first time joining, welcome. If it's not, welcome anyway. Uh, this week, I'm joined for an after show by Greg Kataoka Hello Once again, uh, if you listened last week, you know we are talking about the 2013 indie drama comedy More comedy than drama, actually
1: Ant-Man
0: Yep (laughs) Uh, Prince Avalanche, as well as the 2015 indie drama comedy Ant-Man
1: It does not feel like an indie drama comedy
0: No, it does not, no Uh, Before we get into that, though, have you been watching anything this
1: week? Um, well, topically, I accidentally watched... Uh, not accidentally watched, but... I saw Hot Fuzz. Okay. Which is topically relevant to the listeners who may not know. It was directed by Edgar Wright, who was, for the longest time, attached to Ant-Man. Yep. And I didn't watch it because we were going to be talking about Ant-Man. My girlfriend just really wanted to see Hot Fuzz, and it just kind of turned, came out that way. Yeah. Cool. And then I also... I was just telling you a minute ago, last night I stayed up a little too late watching the new season of Bojack Horseman.
0: Right. I just started the first season yeah. of that this week, and uh, I like it. Um I've heard it gets better as the season goes on, yeah, and that it gets a little like existential.
1: It does, yeah, yeah, it it handles some surprisingly heavy things for a show about an anthropomorphic horse trying yep. to write a his memoirs and become relevant again
0: <laughs> i i love mr peanut butter a lot
1: yeah i mr peanut butter is definitely one of my favorites on that show i love that guy i also
0: <laughs> but i really like the guy who voices him so i think i'm partial who voices paul mr. f tonkins
1: what has he done he's
0: a stand-up He's okay. a standard comedian, okay. and he's great. I love that okay. guy. He actually he has a podcast that is fantastic that I've been listening to this week called The Dead Authors Podcast. Hmm. And the plot of The Dead Authors Podcast is he plays H.G. Wells, who instead of writing the time machine, also invented the time machine for realsies.
1: So kind of like... Warehouse 13, but better.
0: Kind of. But he goes back into the past and gets other and brings other authors to our day and records ah. a podcast with them. Um, but the other authors are played by other comedians. Okay. So, um, the one I listened to recently was Andy Daly, who is a sketch comedy guy anyway, doing L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, I also listened to one recently where... This guy, Matt Gourley, guest-hosted for H.G. Wells as Carl Sagan. Oh, man. And he interviewed Mark Twain, who was played okay. by Paul F. Tompkins, which is why he wasn't able to play H.G. Wells, because it would be him interviewing himself, and it'd be super weird. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I love Paul F. Tompkins, and he's on that show. So That he,
1: reminds me of a radio show. I think it was on NPR. Probably. Uh, it was... I think it was... Uh, One of the one of those founding father presidents, not Washington, Jefferson, maybe. Okay. they had uh, some scholar who was an expert in everything Jefferson or another founding father, if I'm getting the wrong guy. And for the hour, he would impersonate uh, Jefferson and take caller questions as the as well. Yeah, I had to do I had to write, do a write up in a history class about an episode of that mm. and it was just so fascinating. I listened to like three or four more. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. And then the last portion was him going back out of character talking about some of the questions that they had gotten on the show. Huh. Um I wish I could remember what it was called. I want to say it was like the Jefferson Hour. Okay. Um yeah, I don't remember exactly what it was, but if I can find it again, I am, would probably just binge on that yeah. way too much.
0: That sounds awesome. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so is Hot Fuzz your favorite Edgar Wright movie? Oh. Out of the Out of the because my, my favorite is Scott Pilgrim. Cause of yeah, I man, that
1: movie. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim is a really, really good movie. Um, out of the Cornetto trilogy, it, it very well might be. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, Shaun of the Dead is kind of a classic in and of its own right, mm-hmm. but it's, it's definitely between those two. Okay. Yeah,
0: mine is actually World's End.
1: Really? Yeah, I like okay. that one better than the other two. I think my I think part of it might just be I've only seen World's End once, okay, not too long ago. Yeah. So it does it doesn't really sit as you know a movie that I've seen as many times as these other two, mm-hmm. you know, in high school, like yeah. when they came out.
0: Yeah, I've only seen Hot Fuzz once, actually. I need to watch mm. it again. Um, I think I've seen Shaun of the Dead twice. Yeah. But I've seen Scott Pilgrim.
1: Oh, yeah, I've seen that one.
0: <laughs> Close to a dozen times, at least. I don't know if I've
1: seen it that many times, but I have seen it quite a few. Oh, man. And while I was watching Hot Fuzz, I was just kind of keeping mental notes, like some of these things that I've seen in the other Edgar Wright films, like his key, his use of quick cuts Mm -hmm. and how unlike like he films everything like an action scene yes yeah um very quick cuts like hey here's a thing here's another thing and you're just doing the association in your head and that's where the comedy is yeah
0: very it's very kinetic and i like that he's not afraid to move a camera whereas a lot of people will stick it on a tripod Mm -hmm. and have very static almost moving portraits rather than
1: yeah i mean there's nothing you know, not to say I don't like a nice wide shot. Right. Like, not a good wide shot is always nice, especially if you're using these really quick cuts. Yeah, yeah. Just to establish where everything is.
0: But that's the thing is, like, Edgar Wright's shot composition isn't confusing, even though right. it's
1: frantic. That's that's one of the things I was really trying to pay attention to in that because using doing the quick cuts is something that I complain about. To no extent about mm-hmm. a lot of poorly made modern action movies. Right, Transformers Two is probably the worst to come. To oh mind. yeah, for sure. I was just like, "Who are these hunks of metal?" It's like someone turned on a super magnet in a junkyard. Did um? Did you see Mad Max? <laughs> I have not seen Mad Max. Mad Max I regret does that. not seeing Mad Max.
0: Yeah, I think you would like it a lot.
1: I probably would. I've everything I've heard about it has just been great
0: it's man, it's so good but that that's another very frantic movie Mm -hmm. but it doesn't compromise its shot composition now a lot of that has to do with the fact that george miller played with the frame rate Mm -hmm. throughout the movie so most of the movie isn't running at the normal 24 frames a second a lot of it slowed down a lot of it sped up so there's this like weird ramping effect that happens in it that was really jarring for a lot of people i didn't like I don't know if it's because I knew going in, and so I was able to adjust. But I heard a lot of people complain that the beginning of the movie is a little too jumbled for them, yeah. uh, as far as the shot composition. But I didn't get that vibe from it at all. But
1: yeah, that's another one where quick cuts yeah. can be used effectively. Yeah. So, I was—I feel like I was keeping that in mind a lot while watching Ant Man okay. because it was very Edgar Wright to begin with. Like this was his baby. Um, in the pre-production phase right so i was looking for you know any of those any of these little trademarks of his that might have made it into the final cut and there were a few yeah
0: yeah, yeah there and, were
1: a bunch of things
0: and um you know you had a you had one fresh in your head recently within yeah. the last week so yeah. i'm sure it was very much at the forefront of your mind yeah and when
1: my girlfriend was like told me hey let's watch Hot Fuzz tonight, I was thinking, oh, this will be a great opportunity for me to kind of see Edgar Wright's style, like, just before seeing this movie that might have some of his fingerprints on it.
0: Yeah. um, So I don't really have anything that I watched this week. I do have a tag on a story, (laughs) uh, or, or on a story, on a thing we talked about last week, and that is Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, yeah. We've still been trucking through that. We're about halfway through season one right now. So, which means that Pinot Noir caviar has been stuck in my head so much. (laughs) But I wanted to talk to you about the Emmy nominees. Did you see any of the the Emmy nominees? I usually do not give a crap about the TV awards.
1: Yeah, I don't usually uh, pay attention to Emmys.
0: But... There, are, uh, the outstanding supporting actor in a comedy series is one of the hardest races I've ever seen in any
1: awards show this year. What? Who, who, ah, who's in it?
0: Um, it's so three of the three of the six nominees I don't watch. So I'll get them out of the way first. It's mm. Adam Driver from Girls. Um, he's going to be Kylo Ren in the new uh, Star Wars movie. Oh, yep. Um, Ty Burrell from Modern Family. He's one of the dads mm. on the show. And um, Tony Hale, also known as Buster from Arrested Development.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, he's on Veep. With really? Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Yeah. Huh. Uh, I don't watch any of those shows. But the other three I do watch, and I am fascinated at how this is going to go down. So it's Andre Braugher from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He plays the, the chief. I don't know if you watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. He's great in that Every show. Every time I see that show, I just think, this is much better than it has any right to be it's so funny man no, it I, I really really enjoy that show it's a great show but before i watched it before i saw an episode of it i was like it's a cop show with the guy from saturday night live and i mean uh man i'm blanking on his name right now andy samberg uh, no the uh, the big black guy terry cruz terry cruz yeah um it's like, well, Terry Crews is, like, great in everything that he's in, so I might want to give it a shot for that. And, man, it is hilarious. It is it's so funny. So good. Yeah. So good. And yeah. the captain is one of the best things about it. <laughs> he's so good at it. Like, he for
0: sure deserves this nomination.
1: Yeah. Oh, at the very least.
0: The problem is he's also up against Keegan-Michael Key from Key & Peele. Oh, man. Who's also fantastic. Yeah.
1: He's only a supporting role in
0: that show? Uh. Well, so... I was listening to the Rotten Tomatoes podcast and they were talking about that. Apparently actors can submit awesome. Apparently actors can submit to whatever category they want, lead or supporting. Oh. And so he thought he had a better shot in supporting, so he went there instead of lead. But I just don't know if that's true because Andre Brogger is tough competition.
1: That's Titus?
0: That's Andre Brogger is oh. the chief oh, in sorry. Brooklyn Nine-Nine.
1: I don't know any of these people by actor names.
0: Yeah, Andre Andre Brogger is the, 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 the yeah. chief in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Okay. Um, Key and Michael Key is yeah. obviously Key from yeah. Key and Peele, and he's amazing. And then Titus Burgess Man. from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt got nominated. And it's <laughs> it- so hard. Like Those three guys yeah. make me laugh so hard and so consistently every time that I watch their shows that it's so hard to pick.
1: Man, yeah, that's... I don't know who I would pick if I had to... Even just voting. Just casting a vote. I don't know who I would cast a vote for if yeah. I had a ballot in front of me.
0: Yeah, I would just be like, can I skip this one? Like, I yeah. I got nothing on it. I, like... I kind of want to say I would vote for Titus Burgess, but that's only because I've been powering through Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt mm. so much lately that he's very fresh in my mind whereas it's been a while since I've watched uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and it's been a while since I've like sat down and watched Key and Peele but man Key is so funny and Andre Brogger's so he's just so deadpan and amazing
1: and I think I might have to if I was to pick one I think I might pick the guy from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine The Chief just because keeping that deadpan like face yeah I think that's more talent than any of than any of them have to do on a regular basis. That's true.
0: Gosh, there's that that joke where he where they spend the night in the precinct because Peralta arrested someone without any evidence, so they have to yeah they have 48 hours to find mm-hmm. evidence, and they all sleep in the in the office. And uh, the chief comes in and he tells him to wake up. And Andy Samberg's like, "What? How do you look that way? We all look like crap because we all slept here." He goes, "Did you go home?" And he goes, "No, I slept in my office." Also, what are you talking about? My hair is a mess. <laughs> great yes. Andre is so good I love that guy yeah. how do you like BoJack season 2?
1: I like it I really really enjoy uh, the comedy of that show mm-hmm. like this, the deeper stuff that it gets into is really good too but only because the comedy is so good right you know right. that that old line you can't truly cry with someone until you've laughed with them mm. and i'm not saying the show ever brings me to tears or anything but you really feel for these characters when they're going through their trauma
0: yeah and bojack's just a sad character yeah to begin with
1: oh yeah yeah it's he's like john stamos but fat and sad
0: yeah <laughs> yep i love john stamos did you see gallivant
1: yes oh man he was incredible on that show oh man i can't wait for season two whenever that's gonna happen probably next, next year or January. Sometime. yeah yeah yeah
0: Yep. No, but, um,
1: yeah the visual puns of bojack there's a line in somewhere in the first season where they're just panning across doing an establishing shot of a grocery store and there are these two dogs by a chocolate stand one of them is like just says to the other oh my god if i eat this chocolate it will literally kill me oh in yeah that's in the one, first episode oh this, that's the story of my life
0: yep that's the first episode <laughs> i also really like the way the opening credits evolve yeah because the hollywood sign is in the background of the opening credits and they knock the h off yeah and then later in the season when it paints the hollywood sign it says yeah. hollywood
1: yeah oh, that was and great. then there's another thing that happens to the hollywood sign and that stays oh that's awesome yeah there something else happens and from that point on in the opening credits you can see the change if you pay attention to the hollywood sign nice
0: Cool. That's it. Um, we're going to take a short break. We'll be uh, right back to talk about Prince Avalanche and Ant-Man, which I am fresh off seeing both of those. You, you've you had some time.
1: I've had some time between that, uh, Prince Avalanche right. and Ant-Man. So. Right. So, all right. We'll be right back.
0: And we're back, so let's get in the meat and potatoes of the show. We're here to talk about uh, summer blockbuster film that is currently in theaters and on the this indie, show,
1: the indie romantic, the indie drama, romantic drama, drama comedy, comedy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Ant Man, Ant-Man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> as,
0: as well as uh, we like to look back in the past and and pull films from history, uh, recent and not so recent.
1: And the Marvel movie, Prince Avalanche. <laughs>
0: the, the Marvel film, Prince Avalanche, and talk about. Um, Things that are connected to the movie, whether by actor or director or screenwriter or th- thematically or whatever, um, or genre or things like that. So this week we're talking about the Marvel film Prince Avalanche, starring Paul Rudd <laughs> and Emile Hirsch, as well as the uh, indie uh, romantic comedy drama Ant-Man, <laughs> also starring Paul Rudd.
1: <laughs> I hope no one gets confused by this.
0: <laughs> I, uh... I just had a little internal debate where I w- was trying to intro Prince Avalanche, and I was like, "So Marvel went in a different direction for their new film."
1: <laughs>
0: but then I thought it would be too mean for anyone super confused by it.
1: Yeah, let's. We should stop that. Now. Yeah, we
0: probably should. <laughs> okay, so Prince Avalanche is not a Marvel film. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an indie drama comedy. Uh, Ant Man is a Marvel film. It's an indie drama comedy from director David Gordon Green, who we learned last week directed pineapple express as well as a movie called joe with Nicolas cage which is my favorite Nicolas cage performance of all time and uh i love it prince avalanche follows these two guys who are uh road construction workers rebuilding and repaving and repainting a road that has been ravaged by a fire
1: the year prior
0: the year prior and it takes it's a period piece uh even though it doesn't really look like it it takes place in 1988 and I mean,
1: 1988 really, like, objectively speaking, isn't that long ago,
0: right? It's 27 years ago.
1: I was, yeah, born, I was born in 1988, 27 years ago, but really, it's not like it's going back to the 50s. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was born in 1988, yeah. and so as far
1: as camp, as far as being out in the wilderness goes, will wilderness technology hasn't changed that much,
0: yeah yeah nature hasn't like
1: yeah. grown anything great difference is there's no cell phones yeah that's the only major noticeable difference that if you didn't tell someone it was set in 1988 there would be a conversation you'd have with this person at some point why they don't have cell phones yeah other than that yep
0: yeah. so it's just kind of it's summertime and these guys are repainting this road and i'm about to yell at the cat again
1: Cat v fly. Yep, it's it's summer,
0: 1988. These guys are repainting this road. Uh, one of them is a sort of older, more experienced uh worker, and the other guy has just come on this summer. And the guy who's come on this summer is Emil Hirsch. The older guy is Paul Rudd. Emil Hirsch is the brother, the younger brother of Paul Rudd's girlfriend, and that's how he got the job.
1: And their names. <laughs> oh, their names. Paul Rudd's car- older character, Alvin which they do reference Alvin and the Chipmunks at one point, and the younger Emil Hirsch's character, Lance. Yep. Which I think you said you didn't put this together. Did not. During the movie. At one point they said they were talking about, I think they were drunk. Yes. Saying they were going to write stories about us, the adventures of Alvin and Lance. And I was like, oh God, that's where Avalanche comes from.
0: Right. and so, But also they talk about... <laughs> Emil Hirsch says that he he tells the old man... He tells this old man that happens upon Emil Hirsch mm-hmm. while Paul Rudd is gone. Paul Rudd is like, you didn't tell him what happened to me, did you? He goes, no, I told him you were a prince and you had to go back to your castle and all this stuff. So that's where the prince part also came in.
1: Yeah, I heard that part. I was like, okay, so that's the prince bit. Mm-hmm. Where's Avalanche? And then later they say, they, Alvin and Lance. Like, oh God, that is... I'm not sure whether that's genius or just so grown worthy. Yeah. It kind of rides the line right there. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so, I mean, not a lot happens in this movie. It's literally kind
1: of just them it's doing a, their jobs. I mean, it's a slice of life yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, I know that's typically uh, grouped in with an anime genre.
0: Mm-hmm. A oh, really? Slice
1: of life. Yeah, I mean, as far as when I've heard it used, they're talking about types of anime where, you know, it's not like fighting or magic or this. It's people, you know, it's school kids like, you know, trying to form a school club or something, you know, boring anime.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm going to get hate mail. <laughs> um, um, yeah, stuff that I would consider boring anime because I was raised on Pokemon Dragon Ball Z. You know, Things where stuff happens, although you can debate whether or not anything happens in Pokemon. True. So yeah, it was very much slice of life. It's hey, here's some characters, and spend some time with them. Yeah, and you're just gonna kind of hang out with these guys in this environment and just kind of learn a little bit about them, and then the movie's gonna end.
0: Yeah. Uh, All that being said, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought it was extremely pleasant. Yeah. I thought it was very sweet natured. I thought it was actually hilarious in a lot of parts.
1: Yeah, there were some parts where. Like the Alvin. Yeah. The way they acknowledge Alvin, the chipmunks. Lance wakes up one morning. Alvin's gone. And he's just out wandering the forest. Alvin. Alvin! And I... That joke really worked.
0: Yeah, that joke really worked. Um, You know, there's a part later in the film where there's a ridiculous chase scene between Emil hirsch and paul rudd where they're just they're like change, exchanging like schoolyard insults and Emil hirsch is chasing paul rudd with a wrench to do something with him <laughs> i don't know it's implied that he's gonna hit him with it but he probably won't
1: and then later it's almost like they got the exact same scene of them running reversed them and gave paul rudd a, a sledgehammer hammer. yeah
0: exactly <laughs> um but I like I don't know it was just it was a really really easy movie to watch yeah. you know um, it held my attention for the entire 93 minute runtime yeah,
1: I never looked at my watch like man is this thing over yeah. yet like, It was
0: lean it, it yeah. did its job it told it told a story that I cared about um, what little story there was basically Paul Rudd go, going through a breakup
1: There was this weird kind of B plot though Yeah with uh The woman who lost her house in the fire. Right. Did you IMDb Uh, that? No, I didn't. Okay,
0: so last week we talked about David Gordon Green likes using real people in Uh, his movies. And in Joe, there's this alcoholic uh, character who is kind of like a bum, borderline homeless guy that's the kid's dad. The reason he's so good at it is because he was a real-life homeless guy that they hired for the movie and ended up dying four months after the movie came out. This woman actually... I think these fires actually happened. And they happened upon her while they were location scouting one day. And they asked her if they could put her story in the film.
1: That's why it seemed like it um, kind of jumped genres into documentary for yep. five to six, five to seven minutes. Yep. So Paul Rudd I is... i forgotten you told me that. And I'm watching this scene with this woman, this poor old woman going through the wreck this burnt wreckage and paul rudd's there and he, it's like paul it's like not lance the character it's like it looked like paul rudd the actor was going out and doing this documentary about people who lost their homes and fires yeah it really <laughs>
0: did it switches genres and i hate that but it worked in this movie because yeah. partially because i know david gordon green likes doing that kind of stuff so i was a little prepared for it but it's a this... really touching story for only being in the movie for five minutes. Right. And it's I that was probably my favorite part of the whole movie. Actually. Oh, yeah. It, it was really, really good. Yeah. Um, and really sad. Really, really David sad. Maybe gordon
1: Green should get into documentaries. Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> he kind of has a knack for it. Yeah.
0: His next movie is going to be a movie about the, the Boston Marathon bombing. Which oh, is, man. Yeah. Holy crap.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was how many years ago was that? That was two. Only two years ago. Yeah. I think so. Well, that's about yeah, that's about right. It seems really soon to be doing that Yeah,
0: I agree. But I think he'll do a good job with it. Like uh, he's clearly sensitive to characters. Yeah. And sensitive to humanity. Yeah. Which which really comes through in this movie a lot. He's very interested in just like people as people. Mm-hmm. And that weird b plot has an even stranger resolution.
1: Yeah. I She's didn't... a ghost, right? I think so. I think that's what they were getting at—is okay. the trucker's dead wife or something? That's what I. That's that's the conclusion I had to draw.
0: Yes. So there are really only four characters in the movie. Yeah. Five. There are five characters in the movie. Only four of them appear on screen. Yeah. So there's Paul Rudd, Emile Hirsch, this truck driver that kind of drives through where they're doing their road work every now and again and just kind of gives them alcohol and sage life advice. And then this woman. (laughs) Sage life advice. Yeah. um,
1: (laughs) Heavy air quotes on that.
0: You know, like, don't sleep with the same woman more than three times or else you'll get feelings. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: Or, here, let me pour us all a bunch of booze and I'll go drive off.
0: Yeah. um, (laughs) Yeah. But and then this this woman whose whose house is burned down and then uh, Paul Rudd's ex girlfriend
1: those are the five characters. Well, ex girlfriend by the end of the film. By the end of the film, yeah, current girlfriend at the beginning, right? Um, we haven't even talk about their arc. We've just been talking about the fire lady.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so the the main arc of the movie, the A story, is Paul Rudd has this girlfriend, um, who is Emil Hirsch's older sister and they are corresponding back and forth via letters because he doesn't go back into town on the weekends. He just likes kind of camping out in the woods by himself on the weekends.
1: Yeah. He's like a real loner type, really not. I don't, yeah. I guess loner would work just, he enjoys the solidarity of being out by himself yeah. in the forest. And yeah. They're, you know, they're perfectly well-rounded people like that. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with them. He just enjoys that solidarity.
0: Right. Um, but, so he corresponds back and forth, and it's, he's got a very interesting syntax in this movie, because mm. he, like, he writes to, one of the first scenes of the movie is him writing a letter to her, and it's like an old-timey soldier writing home to his love, like, yeah. it's really strange, because he talks about how, like, out-of-doors work is very enjoyable to him, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, eventually she gets fed up with him not coming home on the weekends when obviously her brother's coming home on the weekends and she's just like, you're never here. Why are we even in a relationship? And that kind of breaks Paul Rudd, uh, Paul Rudd's character and, and he kind of loosens up a little bit and that's how these two men find common ground because Emile Hirsch's character is emotionally unstable in that he feels this need to validate his masculinity by betting as many women as he possibly can.
1: Yeah, including... ...women who are going out with one of his friends. Right,
0: right. And it ends up biting him in the butt yeah. because...
1: Well, punching him in the eye. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that, but also... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it ends, It ends up coming back to bite him because there's an older woman that he has slept with that is pregnant with... Yeah. ...presumably his child, almost certainly his child.
1: Well, uh, they said she hadn't been with anyone for over six months. Yeah. So it has to be his.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, unless she's lying to him, but we never get that because... I mean, we already said, she's not a character in the movie. Right. She is a story.
0: Right. So it's just sort of like, it's sort of these kind of two men figuring out what masculinity Mm -hmm. is. And it's somewhere, like, they're two extremes. Yeah. These characters are two very extreme types of men. And true, like, true masculinity for them is somewhere in the middle.
1: Yeah, like, Paul Rudd's character, um, you draw, you start judging him judging might be a bit of a strong word but i'm going to use anyway because i don't want to think about a lesser word for it you start kind of judging him right off the bat uh because he says you know this kid he you know he's uh he's a grown man he doesn't even know how to tie a knot or gut a fish and right i think we've all either we are that either you are that person or you know that person yes if you don't know anyone like that, you're that person.
0: Yep. Okay. Yeah, I, I I think they're you know, and the thing is, Paul Rudd's not really a manly man in this movie. He's just he's an outdoorsy type of guy, yeah. but he's not particularly rugged. But I he would still say.
1: feels like um the there are things that a man must do right. to qualify himself as a man. Right. These include se- setting up a tent, tying a good knot. Uh, gutting a fish, and there's a reason my voice slipped into yeah. that for a minute. <laughs> yep. And then
0: Emil Hirsch is just like, you know, sticking in as many people as you possibly can, and that's manly. That's the masculinity. Yeah,
1: masculinity is going out, partying, get hooking up with girls, and yeah, like you said, two completely different, but also very extreme forms of masculinity.
0: Yeah, and so it's the whole, or really, the whole story of the movie is them. Kind of realizing maybe they need to back off from their extremes yeah. a little bit, um, and getting wake up calls that help them do that. That yeah. have to do with the women in their lives.
1: Yeah, Emil Hurst needs to take more responsibility and more commitment to one woman, and Paul Rudd has to you know not be as committed to one woman. That I think I'm phrasing that poorly
0: <laughs> well i think he it's it's interesting because he's very committed to this woman as long as mm-hmm. he doesn't have to see her which yeah. means he has commitment issues yeah so they both have committing to a, a woman issues and the only thing is one of them doesn't really want to admit it and mm-hmm. that would be paul rudd's character he would rather just run away from his problems whereas emile hirsch would rather figure it out but also run away yeah yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, it's a very elemental movie, is also mm. something I noticed. These guys are working with the yeah. Earth. It's because of a fire that they're out there. There's an extended scene of Emile Hirsch's character swimming while Paul Rudd is reading his breakup letter. Um, you know, it's, it's very much rooted in fire, water, and Earth, and heart.
1: Go planet! Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: I wouldn't say wind plays a big part in it,
1: but uh, it's better than Last Airbender.
0: Yes. Yeah, it is. So yeah, that's that's Prince Avalanche. I think we both enjoyed it. Yeah. Um it's it's a good little indie movie. Yeah. I don't know. I like that David Gordon Green guy.
1: If you yeah, I'd say if you like indie movies, like like the general feel of a little slice of life indie movie, you'll enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Um it was only shot in sixteen days hmm. and it's based off of an Icelandic film. Huh neat yep which makes sense because it feels very foreign
1: it does kind of yeah maybe that's why uh last week i mistakenly said it was a place in canada yeah or canadian yeah because well, it, it felt it yeah it might it maybe felt a little bit non-american there wasn't a whole lot of americana that was steeped in yeah
0: yeah um yeah it was good uh yeah. my fiance described it as like a twisted version of amer of napoleon dynamite and i think that's pretty accurate <laughs> yeah um, all right, so let's get into Ant Man. Yeah. Uh, if you listened last week, you know that we both had uh, expectations for the film. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, I think we were both expecting to like it. Yeah. We talked about the storied history this film had, getting from page to screen with Edgar Wright, and um, the final product came out. And it was what do you good. think? I think it delivered
1: yeah. really well. To say, to say the very least, it was good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I thoroughly um, enjoyed it. Um It's amazing that Marvel can throw this together af- in a year. They threw it together in a year after their director left.
0: Absolutely. And it's on par. I you know, I Winter Soldier still top of the top of the yeah. list for me, but I think it's on par with that or Guardians of the Galaxy. Like I think the quality of film here is just as good as well, that. It's because
1: these three films are more than the other films stepping away from just generic superhero origin story it they are their own genres Mm -hmm. winter i think we talked about this last week yeah winter soldiers the political uh, the political thriller the spy drama the cars of the galaxy is a space opera and now this is the heist movie yeah
0: and it's such a sick heist movie (laughs) it's It's so
1: good um yeah you know once the climax start uh once they start getting up to the climax, you're like, "This could be a Mission Impossible."
0: Oh yeah, movie, yeah. yeah. And yes. it's just there's just there's so many things that work about this movie that mm-hmm. really shouldn't, but they do for some <laughs> reason. I don't know why. And I was um, we'll, I was fully we'll on board wait. the hype train going into it,
1: and I am glad I did delivered because I would have been very disappointed. I was weary about the hype train mm-hmm. going in. I was like, because you know, like we were talking about, I knew this. St- the kind of shaky production that this film went through, and I'm like, right. if there's going to be a total bomb Marvel movie, this could very well oh, be it. It should have been. Yeah, it. this this could be just a monumental failure. So I'm going to go in with that mindset that you know, be excited, be want to see it, sure, but you know, temper your expectations. Yeah. And I think partially because of that, it just blew me away.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think it delivered. So it follows the story of Scott Lang, who yeah. is a
1: he is burglar. S- he is the second Ant-Man.
0: Right. Yeah. We get a pre. We get a prelude with uh, a fantastically de-aged Michael Douglas as yeah. Hank
1: Pym. Yeah. I w- whenever they showed the first scene is, is set in 1989, mm-hmm. and it is Michael Douglas as Hank Pym going to Shield. Um, sh- going to Shield, who at this time was. The obvious Hydra agent, uh-huh. um, Peggy Carter, and Howard Stark. Um, Howard Stark who is
0: uh, who John, played him? John Slattery from Mad Men.
1: Yeah, and he for, played
0: he played him in Iron Man Two as well.
1: Okay, yeah. So they. So he is the official old howard stark
0: <laughs> yeah i forgot about that until I, I did
1: too i forgot about that because i thought we're... they just completely recast him like they did roadie
0: oh no <laughs> no john slattery played old howard stark yeah. in iron man 2 but we haven't seen old howard stark
1: since, since iron yeah. man 2 well because of that i thought they completely redid him recast him like they did with roadie like they were just going to upage the actor who was howard stark in um, Captain America.
0: And P- and Agent Carter. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's Dominic Cooper and my understanding is he's still playing How- okay. young Howard Stark.
1: Alright, cool. That's fascinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it starts off with that and he has discovered the Pym Particle and he's been Ant-Man and they're trying to take it from him and he's not taking too kindly to that. And then we flash forward to present day and...
1: Scott Lang is getting the crap beat out of him in prison as a goodbye ritual.
0: Yep. <laughs> um, so Scott Lang is a, is a burglar who is in prison for taking down a ma- major tech company. And it turns out Hank Pym has been watching him. and Since
1: he took down the tech company.
0: Right. Hank Pym wants him to be the next Ant-Man. And the reason we need a new Ant-Man is because Hank Pym's company has basically gotten away from him. And the man who has been running it for him, a guy named Darren Cross, has, has uncovered the fact that the Pym Particles exist... Developed his own version of it. And he's getting closer and closer by the minute to developing a way to shrink organic matter. He's figured out how to shrink inorganic matter, but he's working on shrinking organic matter. Organic matter matter
1: turns into...
0: Super gross! (laughs) It was really gross. It's just like this goop.
1: Yeah, this little goop with like a... More solid, like goop in the yeah. middle, like oh, a nucleus. gosh.
0: Yeah, it was really like off-putting. Like, yeah. like I was like, Ugh. and I, I have a pretty strong stomach for that kind of stuff, but it was really
1: gross. Yeah. Well, probably because the first time you see it, he, uh, he kills someone in a bathroom with it, and just goes and they zoom, give you a nice close-up of it while he wipes it up with a little <laughs> bathroom paper towel. Yeah, and just oh man it gives you a such a good understanding of his mental instability that he does it so calmly just like he's not even like oh this is disgusting why yeah. why would i have to do this to yeah. this guy he's like oh well shame
0: yeah yeah <laughs> bye frank is what he says man it's so yeah that stuff was disgusting yeah um i mean
1: it's definitely served its purpose yeah
0: yeah <laughs> for sure um and, and so uh, Hank Pym doesn't want this getting out to the general populace mm. that this stuff is happening. So they bring on Scott Lang to take over the persona of the Ant-Man, break into uh, Pym Industries and steal the Yellow Jacket suit. Uh, things go awry and the climax is Yellow Jacket is Dominic or Dominic Cooper. Um, Darren <laughs> Cross has figured out how to shrink organic matter. He gets in the Yellow Jacket suit and now he's got to fight Ant-Man. And that's the overall plot of the movie.
1: I have to say, I was kind of disappointed that it didn't end in a giant kaiju like gi- uh, giant giant man versus giant yellow jacket fight. That would be that hilarious. the whole city got to see, and that yeah, that would have. I was really, really hoping for that.
0: Yeah, that would have been really cool. But there's, I mean, for sure, going to be sequels. I think this movie's going to do. Yeah, that. well, it's, it
1: says at the very end, Ant Man will return.
0: More on that in a second. By the yeah. way, so this movie it just works man like it's just it's such a good marvel movie it's such a good heist movie um the action is really creative and great in it um it takes its time Mm -hmm. which i i liked it's a long time before we get a really huge action scene and the first really huge action scene we get is incredible because it's a fight it's 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 a, it's a pre-heist heist, which every good heist yeah. movie needs a pre-heist heist.
1: Yeah.
0: And he's being sent by Pym and his daughter to a Stark Industries warehouse that contains a
1: signal blocker that they need. That all of their information says is some abandoned warehouse, middle of upstate New York. It should be an easy in-out, no problem. It's the new Avengers base. Yep. Tony Stark kept it off the books. And that's another thing. It's its its own thing, but it is so tied in with the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe.
0: In the best way Marvel has yeah. tied in anything yeah. so far. Like, it, none of it felt forced at all.
1: No. It wasn't like Iron Man 2, which just felt like an extended preview for the trailer for the Avengers. Yeah. This was... And what, what I was getting with this, bringing it up now, is they never tell you in Age of Ultron that this is being kept off the books. Right. This is their way of saying, this is off the books. No one, re- except for the people who know that it's there, know it's there.
0: Right. And so he gets down there and he <laughs> is greeted
1: by a fan favorite, Falcon. Who, maybe this is what he was doing when the mount- when the continent was falling. Yeah. Because that that was a problem I had with that movie. Was that like, was a okay, huge problem I had okay, with that movie. Okay, cool. There's... there's a war machine. So Falcon's going to be coming out too, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. He's not coming out yet. Okay. So there's other thing is happening and now he's going to be too, too stretched thin. So the Falcon's going to come out. Where the hell is the Falcon? Yeah, exactly. And then he comes in at the very end, like, yeah, meet your new Avengers. Where were you when the continent was falling?
0: Apparently he had <laughs> to hold down the Avengers base and be security detail. Yeah, apparently,
1: apparently he had to deal with the Ant-Man, because in my mind now, these are happening simultaneously. For sure. Except that this actually does happen post the events
0: of yeah. Avengers 2. Because I mean, there's... yeah,
1: it... I know I object objectively, I know that this happens after the events of the Avengers, but in my head, to make the continuity better and to make me less angry at Avengers 2, this is taking place at the time that the continent is falling.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's and that fight scene was great. They did so oh, many good yeah. things with giving Falcon new tech, like introducing the fact that he's got new suit yeah. and he's got these glasses that'll help him see like a Falcon. Yeah, and he
1: can see uh, he can see Scott Lang when he's in his tiny half-inch Ant-Man form.
0: Yeah. Um, and they do so many creative things with like him mm-hmm. getting bigger and getting smaller and, mm-hmm. and doing all this stuff. And it's, it's a great introductory fight scene. And it happens really late in the movie. Yeah. Um, because they combined two of my favorite things in this movie. <laughs> and it just made me so happy. And that was... The planning the heist montage and the training montage, it all happened at once, and it's yeah. a great. It's great. There's an, it's an extended montage. It's like a half hour of this movie, and I loved it.
1: I think it was like halfway, three quarters of the way through that montage. I was like, it's a montage, montage! Yeah. That stupid Team America song montage. You can't have a montage in a movie now without at least some people... Thinking of the montage song from from Team America. Obviously, as it's, soon
0: as as soon as it cut to him in the hallway in the Ant Man suit, and they were like, "You got to dive through the keyhole and get bigger," I was like, "Montage time."
1: <laughs> it kind of it kind of. Now that you mention it, it kind of reminds me of the start of the montage in Mulan. Oh yeah, where it's like, "Hey, here's this nigh insurmountable task that you must complete," and so as the montage is starting to get rolling very slowly, it just shows failure after failure after failure, and then it comes into the montage proper. Right. And then the then right before the end of the montage, like about three quarters of the way through the montage, it's like, oh, this nigh-insurmountable task has now been done, And now the person is good at everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And And I'll make a man out of you with Ant-Man. I'll make an Ant-Man out of you. There you go. (laughs) Uh,
0: Someone's for sure recutting that (laughs) and putting that song.
1: Email it to the uh, before and after show at whatever your email is (laughs) dot com. At gmail (laughs) dot com. Yeah, it just... Paul Rudd is super
0: likable in this movie. I so like, we likeable. were talking
1: about that last week. He's always likable. Yeah. He always just feels like a guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, like, he's kind of bad at this. Like, he needs to be trained yeah. by, like, two other people on how to be a superhero. He's not just, like, instantly a boss, you know? And <laughs> he
1: kept getting freaked out by the ants.
0: And that was another thing man These ants are his team in the heist And it's so cool It's so cool They use these ants as his weapon basically And it's so awesome It's a little ridiculous when they shoot C4 charges that get bigger yeah. uh, I was like what the hell was that But uh, it made ants super adorable
1: Yeah Oh the, do- the dog ant at the end Yep um, So was there anything that didn't work for you in Ant-Man? Oh man I'm trying to think. I think I'd have to see it again to re- to kind of pick out the things that weren't as good for me. Okay.
0: Um, for me, I thought it started off really rocky. Mm. It took me a minute to get into it. I was like, the whole intro, I was like, I don't know about this movie. I'm not too sure about it. It's not, I mean, it's moving along okay, but it's not really like, uh, there's a lot of setup happening. And then uh, Hank Pym and Scott Lang cross paths. And it gets awesome. Pretty much from the first time he gets the suit on and Hank Pym tells him, I'll be in touch, to the end of the movie. I was super on board <laughs> with anything that happened. Oh, um,
1: whenever he, whenever Hank was talking to Scott through the Ant-Man helmet, I was just like, hey, it's Batman Begins. Or not Batman Begins. Uh, Beyond. Batman Beyond. Well, even when he's watching with, him. With the crotchety old man instructing the... the uh, you know, spry youngster into being his former persona.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It was, uh... That didn't really work for me at the beginning of the movie, and I don't necessarily know that Michael Pena's character worked for me.
1: Uh... Cross?
0: No, not Cross. uh,
1: I was think. I was thinking about that towards the end of the movie. He... Michael Pena's character, he is a... Cholo. Yeah, he's a kind of a caricature cholo.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: He's kind of a lovable doofus though. Yeah, he is. Because he has that charm to him.
0: Michael Peña is an extremely charming man. Yeah. Extremely
1: charming. He's a doofus. He gets his job, he gets his work, he does what he's supposed to. He isn't the one that screws it up like I thought he was going to be. Thought he was going to... You know, just do a little bit too much and end up screwing up the job and making it, you know, pushing the timetable forward by three hours. Right. Because um, we've seen those heist movies. Right.
0: Um Have you seen Fantastic Mr. Fox? I have not. Okay, he reminds me of the possum in Fantastic Mr. Okay. Fox. He was like gung-ho, but also kind of dumb.
1: Yeah. Um, was, well, yeah, he's gung-ho, but also kind of dumb, but he can pull his act together when he needs to.
0: Right. In a pinch, he's good. Yeah. I was expecting him. I think it may have been an expectations thing for me. I think I was kind of expecting Mexican Falcon. (laughs) And got kind of like goofy Mexican sidekick guy. I mean,
1: from the almost from the first scene with him, you kind of get goofy Mexican sidekick guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: And the fact that he was able to he's able to pull his act together in a pinch. I think really really helps to make him likeable
0: I think so too yeah. um, there's just certain moments where it's just so much like it's so it's such an over the top performance not that anyone's particularly subtle in the movie <laughs> um, but it's it's just so like uh, big it's such a big performance that it's yeah. like whoa you're bigger than this movie man you know <laughs> but he's he's also very charming he's a very likable person as a person yeah um and he's a really good actor i don't know if you saw end of watch or not
1: i have not okay he's
0: great in that movie it's obviously it's a drama but he's fantastic in it um I said that I liked Michael Peña as Aziz Ansari in this movie.
1: <laughs> I could see that. Yep. He yeah. looked a lot like him in this movie for some reason. <laughs> if Aziz was Mexican.
0: Yep. He looked like yep. Mexican Aziz. And, uh, which is fine. Um, so those are the two I things. He's I he's actually know. Mexican. Those are the two things. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Michael okay. Peña. Yeah. Okay, he's he's right. actually Mexican. Get a um, bunch
1: of hate mail. He's Puerto Rican, you racist.
0: Yeah, no, he's, he's actually Mexican. <laughs> <Okay>. Um, <laughs> Those are the two things that didn't work for me. It, what worked the most for you?
1: Oh, man. I I really like the design of the Ant-Man suit. It looks cool. Like, it looked really cool. And then they went and they made it practical with, like, the little buttons on, on like, the uh, first joint. What is that? The first or the third joint of the forefinger. So his thumb can just, like, easily, third, yeah. Yeah, easily get to it. But and, he can still make a fist and so not yeah, have he him still get... Ma- like, I don't know about you, but when they showed what, the positioning of those buttons, I was just kind of, like, fiddling with my hands, like, wait, so those are there? Yeah, I did the same thing. I did the exact same thing. I was like, like, I don't okay, know if no, that would work. The, how the mechanics of this really feel. And yeah, I like, did the same okay, thing, because I was yeah, like, I don't it's
0: know it's if that's it's... the best position for, okay, I, I guess I see it yeah, now. Yeah, it,
1: it, wor- it works pretty well. <laughs> and they do a good job of explaining why the suit is kind of the way it is without being too heavy-handed or too silly about it. Yeah. I mean, the character Ant-Man is inherently silly. Yes it is. And they know it and oh, they're yeah. playing it up. The scene and the the fight scene in the briefcase where yellow jacket and Ant-Man are both tiny, they get accidentally get locked up in a briefcase thrown out of a helicopter because Uh, It's an over-the-top movie climax, so of course they do. One of them accidentally activates Siri on the iPhone and yells, I will disintegrate you! Now playing Disintegration by The Cure. Gosh.
0: (laughs) That was a weird scene for me because in that briefcase were one, two, three instances of product placement. It kind of worked, though. It did, but it was just like, it was not really that heavy on the product placement, and then that happened, and it was just like, here's three right in a row. Here's a plug for the cure. Here's a plug for the iPhone. Here's some Lifesavers in there. (laughs) Yeah. Brand name, rolling around in full view of the camera, Lifesavers. I was like, what?
1: (laughs) When was the last time Lifesavers were relevant? (laughs) Yeah, right?
0: I think what worked for me the most was probably Michael Douglas.
1: He's so good in
0: this movie I always forget how much I love Michael Douglas, and I'm just so happy he didn't die of cancer a few years ago. He's so... Oh, gosh, he's so good in this, you guys. He's so good at selling the most ridiculous dialogue that he has to deliver. <laughs> like, he's got he's to gotta talk about going subatomic and entering the quantum whatever bullcrap. The quantum world. The
1: quantum world. If you, and... if you mess with the regulator, then you can't... You will just keep getting smaller and smaller, and you will enter the quantum world, the world between atoms, and he delivers it so sincerely so well that it doesn't sound like stupid made-up stuff. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, like, if you take two seconds to think about it, you're like, that's the stupidest thing that's ever been written in a Marvel movie.
1: But they and to sell it. to it off, he has this really heartfelt moment where he tells his daughter how her mother really died. And it involves the subatomic world. Yeah. The quantum world. And I don't know. I think he so- I thought he sold it. He sold me on... Their wife, his wife, is lost forever in the quantum mm-hmm. realm because she had to detonate a Soviet missile. So here's or my theory.
0: I have a theory on what's going on there. She's hanging out with Baymax.
1: <laughs> Her and Baymax are BFFs. Yeah,
0: because Except Baymax they, is in the alternate well, world too. Also, right. Also,
1: remember, Baymax doesn't have his Doctor Protocol chip, so he is now in. He is now in the. That realm in full rage fight mode. Oh
0: yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah, crossover. I've been, I've been thinking Ant-Man... about the. I've been th- spending a lot of time thinking about what the big hero six sequel is going to be.
0: <laughs> Ant Man, Big Hero Six crossover.
1: That would be Dude, That
0: would be fantastic, actually. <laughs> I think that, and uh, uh, my fiance and I were just talking about this in the car. Hi, fiance. Uh, fiancé. <laughs> my fiance <laughs> and I were talking about this in the car. It's this perfect buildup of tension, and it always releases, but it vacillates back and forth between you build up the tension, then you release it with a joke, and then you build up the tension, you release it with like an action beat, or or something like something serious to mm. release the tension. But it's always it's always building towards one of those two things, and you, they they alternate back and forth between. Whether or not it's going to be a joke or something that moves the story forward so much that you never really know, like, you're kind of on your toes the whole movie going, like, is this going to be a setup to a joke or a setup to, like, actually something that's going to, like, have impact on the characters or... I don't know if I caught that. It's just, it's it's kind of everywhere, especially yeah. in the fight scenes. Like, some of the fight scenes, there's just, like, this build-up and then it's actually just a joke. You know, like, uh, Yellow Jacket getting run over by the Thomas the Tank Engine train. Or, I said
1: this last week, I'll say it again, I that's one scene I really wish wasn't in the trailers because that would have been so good to see for the first time it would have been on the amazing. screen when I didn't know what was going to happen.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think it's so funny. It's one of the funniest Marvel movies. Yeah. I would say like, it feels like a Paul Rudd comedy with a superhero skin on top of it. Yeah. Um, I just, I really liked Ant-Man a lot, a yeah. lot, <laughs> a lot. It's, but it's hands down my second favorite movie of, uh, phase two. Yeah. Um
1: yeah. yeah, well you you were saying last week that they the Marvel deliberately put Ant-Man at the end of phase 2 mm-hmm. because the Pym particles were going to be a huge game changer. Right. And so I was kind of waiting for that. And yeah, they kind of allude to something with the the subatomic wor- <laughs> round, the quantum world, but they were it was there wasn't any Thing huge and game-changing about it, unless there was some kind of subtext that I was missing.
0: Right. Um, I think we're going to see that develop, especially once we get the Wasp character yeah. introduced and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, the um, first post-credit stinger with <laughs> stinger.
0: Yeah. Yep. I was yep. thinking about that as soon as that movie was <laughs> a thing. I was like, ha, stingers. That's yeah. why
1: there's two of them. Where they got them. where? Yeah, there's the Wasp is going to be a, a thing and. Probably, I'm hoping civil that they are going to be a civil war. Yeah, I think because so. otherwise we got to wait till Avengers three. Um, that's in 2018. Yeah, I don't want to wait that long to see Ant Man again. <laughs> I want to see him. Like, I want to see him in the next one. Yeah, and I do they, too. Oh, they, na- they uh alluded to Spider Man.
0: Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was really cool.
1: It's like, hey, these guys or the fans have been way long enough. Let's just at least let them know we have spider-man
0: yeah um oh you know what didn't work for me Hmm. anthony dying
1: i I, I thought that i thought that worked pretty well
0: it was manipulative and i didn't Hmm. like that because they didn't do anything with it he doesn't mourn the loss of anthony afterwards it's strictly to get you to be pissed off at the bad guy but the problem is he's the bad guy you should already be pissed off at him it's just another link in the the chain of (laughs) weak marvel villains
1: that's what I was going to say. The villain is eh. if they would have stuck with what they started him out as, mm-hmm. which is just a businessman who is who was intrigued by this mythical soup that or this mythical little particle that he had heard about and is like following down the rabbit hole to to discover. Like, they could have made a really good, interesting villain that way, but no, they just turned into a mustache twirler at the end.
0: Yeah, and they, like, for, like, a bullcrap reason, too. They were like, oh, your brain chemistry's being changed, because we need a reason for you to be a compelling vi- villain. Yeah. <sighs> Man.
1: God, Marvel villains.
0: Yeah, right? Gosh, Marvel that's a, I feel like that's a separate podcast all on its own. But do you
1: want I will do this the Marvel <laughs> villain podcast with you next time you have a down week. God, that sounds like fun.
0: <laughs> um, it's just so dumb. Um, it's I, like what they have one interesting one. Just copy him at least once. That yeah. way we have at least two, even if they are the same.
1: I mean, the best villains are the ones that consider themselves the hero, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, Because you, you are never the villain in your own story. Uh, this guy, I don't get how he doesn't see himself as at least not the hero yeah, of the right? story.
0: Right? I just, oh, and gosh. Loki
1: was... sees himself as the hero. Yeah. He's, he's helping. He's freeing Earth by putting us under his his rule. He's ending war that way. But he's Ult- proving himself as the rightful heir to Asgard, and you get that without having to be, you know, spoon fed it.
0: Right. Well, but I would also argue Ultron views himself as the hero of his own story, and he's a pretty yeah. interesting villain. Yeah. Inherently he's a pretty interesting villain. I think Avengers two squandered him though. Yeah. I think they wasted the interesting villain in this movie by just having him in one movie. I'm hoping yeah. I'm hoping the theory I heard about, like, Vision absorbed him and he's actually going to be pulled out of him for um, Infinity Wars is the case, but... That'd be cool. Because you don't really see on screen what happens to Ultron.
1: No. So... And the old uh, comic book or cartoon or movie trope, if you don't see the body, is not dead. Yep. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Um, so... Yeah, Marvel villains. Uh, bad, I, I didn't even mention it on what didn't work for me because I'm so used to them not working for yeah. me. Gosh. That's the, that's the biggest weak link in the entire movie. That villain is he, not interesting at all.
1: I think the, the thing that really bugs me about uh, about him uh, yeah, is that he had this great opportunity to be an interesting villain. Like yes. l- l- I was saying, he could have been just, like, a, a businessman that's trying to make, make Pym Particles profitable again. Right. Put in a, a you know, minuscule D plotline about Pim Particles facing tough financial times before Darren Cross took over, and that's why he took over. That's why the board elected him, because he had ideas and new ways to make them profitable again. Yeah, And the PIM Particle would be... Or developing the PIM Particle, he would probably call it something different, would be a key part of that. I mean, there's your interesting villain right there. Yeah. I mean, granted, not the most interesting villain. He's not a Loki or an Ultron, but right. he's not a mustache twirler anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's...
0: Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how the hell they... Do so poorly with
1: their I, I think it's just because they need to have a fight at the end. Yeah, they need to have a big fight scene. It's the reason they had the destroyer in the first Thor movie. Yeah, because Loki can't, you know,
0: go toe to toe with Thor. Yeah,
1: he's never really been able to unless he's using his magic to manipulate him. Yeah, or something.
0: Yeah, um, but other than that, I think this movie is is awesome. I think yeah. it, it, it's more, It works. Um, you know, uh, I certainly enjoyed it more than I enjoyed Avengers Two. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, it's great. It's really charming, yeah. really charming.
1: Yeah. Um, the plot with, um, with Lang and or Scott Lang and his daughter. Yeah. Like, so I tried to stay away from reviews of this movie before I saw because I wanted my reactions to it on the podcast to be fresh. Uh, there was, I caved on one because I've seen I. Been a follower of this guy's movie reviews for a while. I know he doesn't spoil anything. Anything he just gives a general feel of the movie, and he was he was saying, you know, yeah, the plot is simple, but if they complicated the plot any more, then they wouldn't have time for these character moments with uh, Paul Rudd's character and his daughter, mm-hmm. and that's where the real heart of the movie lies. And yeah, yeah if there was if the plot had much more in it that would probably be what they cut
0: yeah yeah I'd agree and it wouldn't work it wouldn't work no not at all I like that the scope of this movie fits the scope of the hero it's It's just it's very small it's very small
1: it's very personal
0: yeah yeah and I think Marvel has needed that And I I think it's something different, and I think it's something good.
1: It's what we were kind of promised with Avengers 2. Mm -hmm. Is that, you know, the first one would be this big galactic thing, and then the second one would, not galactic, but, like, this huge planetary threat. And then the second one would be a more personal attack on the characters. Right. And it was that to an extent, but this one definitely felt like a personal movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, And... I like how they address the issue that everyone has with the non-Avengers Marvel films. Yeah. Why don't we just call the Avengers? Yeah, it's very <laughs>
0: self-aware of the universe they <laughs> yeah. habits, yeah. and I like that. Um, yeah,
1: I hope that that's a trend moving forward with the Marvel films. Like, putting in a reason why the Avengers won't be isn't a suitable solution for this problem right
0: and i mean it was even a simple answer in this one it was basically like hang pim kind of hates the avengers is why and that was fine it was serviceable because they at least acknowledged it
1: yeah it's a problem that i have with a lot of films with a simple solution that they ignore just just put in a throwaway line Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to take up 15 20 minutes of your runtime put in a throwaway line that dismisses the simple solution yep
0: I agree. And that's exactly what they did. Yep. Um, yeah, so that's I would say that's Ant-Man. Uh, it's pretty great. Go yeah. see it. Really yeah. good. Um, yeah, up like there with her- some of us.
1: He- if you like superheroes or heists, it's a great, great movie. It's
0: such a good heist movie. Yeah. It's so cool. That heist <laughs> is so good.
1: Especially if you especially if you like your heist really kind of out of the box.
0: Yeah. Very, like very creative with the yeah. action sequences.
1: Ah, oh, so good. Just the creativity of using the ants.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the different types of ants and yeah. using their strengths. And, oh, gosh, <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. Um, all right. Uh, that's. I think that's going to bring us to the end of the show. So you can contact us before and after show at gmail.com. What did you think of Ant-Man? Um, what's your favorite Marvel movie? Where does this rank for you in the uh, in the Marvel universe? Um uh, let us know and uh, you can follow us on twitter at before and after pod that's at before the letter n after pod um i have to say it at every show because no one's <laughs> got to know what to what to search um subscribe on itunes if you haven't already leave a review on itunes no one has already so someone do it um yeah let it let us know what you think we love feedback we love doing this for you guys uh until next week go watch ant-man it's pretty great yeah all right
1: cool Goodbye, internet du <laughs> du <Mechanasance.
0: Mechanasance. laughs>